Good evening. I'm grateful to you and this gracious invitation for me to be with you and share in this worship service. Through the years that carry, students and staff from this historic church have contributed greatly to my life, and I'm grateful for that, and I'm especially grateful now, my wife Roseanne and I, that you're sharing ministry with our daughter, son-in-law, and our, our grandchildren, their children, but our grandchildren. So thank you very much for that. Uh, we sincerely appreciate it. We come now to reflect on two Bible texts for our mutual encouragement. I'd ask that you would keep the Haggai text and the Matthew 28 text open as we do this. The New Testament text is from the last scene of the resurrected Jesus in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20, which I now will read. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of of the age. Now we have read one of the most memorable teachings from our Lord in this gospel, Matthew, along with one of the less familiar passages from the Old Testament book of Haggai. That book has two chapters and 38 verses, short. And these two passages that have been read, the Haggai text, the Matthew text, they have 550 years separating them. And what's interesting is that in this last saying of Jesus, according to Matthew, Jesus alluded to the Haggai text. In our hearing of the word tonight, let us think on this beautiful promise of Jesus, I am with you, which also appears twice in Haggai, chapter 1, verse 13, chapter 2, verse 4. To Haggai's people returning to Israel from the exile in Babylon without houses of their own, without food, and without much of a clear future, frankly, the Lord said in the midst of that chaos, build my house. According to Haggai 1, 7, and 8, the Lord said to the people, consider your ways, go up to the hills and bring wood and build my house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified. Yet in the midst of that difficulty, the Lord twice reassured the people of Haggai's time by saying, I am with you. 
Now fast forward to Jesus' resurrection appearance. In the midst of the seeming impossible difficulty of making disciples by sharing the good news of Jesus with some Jews who had just scorned him and Gentiles who had just killed him, Jesus reassured the disciples and the earliest believers saying, I am with you. And to all of us, seeking to live the will of God, to share the good news with the world, the loving Savior says to us, I am with you. Our circumstances and the time that God has given us come with what happens to be and appears to be an unraveling of our culture. For about 300 years now, and especially within the last 30 years, we have experienced our culture struggle with the authority of any religion. Remember the assault on all religion after 9-11, when four prominent atheists began attacking not only Islam, but Christianity and Judaism. The names Richard Dawkins, Christopher Hitchens, Sam Harris, and Daniel Dennett became famous for attacking all religious belief and commitment. So clamorously obnoxious has their attack been that some have even referred to those four as the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Now in such moments of these as challenge and dismissive scorn by our culture, the Savior says to us, I am with you. However, not only are people actively scorning Christian faith, more people are ignoring Christianity altogether. The most famous group of all in America nowadays in many polls is known as the nuns. I speak not of Catholic nuns, N-U-N-S, but rather I speak of nuns, N-O-N-E-S, those who claim no religion. The growth of these nuns in American society has been dramatic. In 1972, just 5% of Americans claimed no religion on the general social survey. Fifty years later, about in 2018, that number rose to 23.7%, making the nuns as numerous as all of evangelical Christians and all Catholics in America. If these recent trends continue, the Pew Research Group suggests that by the year 2070, the population in the United States may have only a minority of Christians. Yes, that is correct. A minority unless the Lord himself revives this country. In addition to our in our time, we face ongoing economic uncertainty with an inflation rate that is destroying many people who struggle with day-to-day expenses for food, 
transportation, medicines, and health care. Likewise, we suffer political intrigue that separates people into hateful groups that try to cancel each other. And yet, the loving Savior says to us in our increasingly difficult task to reach those people, I am with you. The vexing and trying circumstances of the people around Haggai who heard him prophesy likewise reveal people of faith with real-life problems that for them seemed insurmountable. Remember the Lord said to the people, according to Haggai 1, verse 6, You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. What a metaphor of the prophet. Putting your money into a bag with holes. Then the Lord told the people that in that same challenging context, uh, you all need to build my house. Now, with what resources would they accomplish such a task? And why was Haggai's audience so deprived? Remember, the book of Haggai dates from the year the exact year of 520 B.C. That's one of the most exact dates in all of the Bible. We know that because of Haggai 1.1 in the second year of Darius the king, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel and to Joshua. The second year of Darius the king puts Haggai exactly at 520 B.C. So now for over 2,500 years, the Lord has been saying to his collective gathered people, I am with you, because the book said it twice. Darius was a Persian king who ruled the ancient Near East all the way from Greece to the, to the Indus River Valley in India. And he was doing that from 522 until 486 B.C. Recall the Persians had defeated the Babylonian Empire in 539, and then about 17 years later, Darius comes on the throne. But when they defeated the Babylonians, you'll remember King Cyrus, who, according to the book of Isaiah, the Lord referred to King Cyrus as his anointed shepherd to subdue nations. In those texts, in chapters 44 and 45 in Isaiah, Isaiah portrayed pagan Persian King Cyrus as a deliverer of Israel, away from its exile in Babylon, where some Jews had now, at that point, lived for some 70 years. Remember, the nation of Israel and its brother Judah had chosen to rebel and sin against the Lord. And as a result, Israel, the northern kingdom, fell to the Assyrians in 721. Subsequently, Judah, the brother, fell to Babylon in 586. And in that falling in 586, Jerusalem and Solomon's temple fell into destruction. Babylonians at work. 
Then the Babylonians displaced many of God's chosen people, killed many, displaced many into foreign lands 500 miles eastward for 70 years. And they had to walk there. And then the Persians come along and Cyrus destroys the Babylonians. Of central importance for our consideration is that King Cyrus then allowed Jews to return to the homeland and begin rebuilding their destroyed temple, and that began under Darius. So when we read the 38 verses of Haggai, we see God's people having returned to Jerusalem. There the Lord began to speak to them about the rebuilding. Remember, Solomon had built that glorious temple 400 years prior before the Babylonians destroyed it. And now the Lord, through Haggai, asked the people returning, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? The destruction of Jerusalem by the Babylonians, that was the most traumatic event in all of Old Testament history. Yes, Our spiritual ancestors lived and died in very difficult times of utter death, destruction, deportation, and demoralization. All of it. But amidst that pain, according to Haggai 2 verse 4, the Lord said, Work, for I am with you. Despite the odds against us, the effective resources for that work are the Lord's alone to provide. They had nothing. And so they began to rebuild the temple, and that second temple became the temple in which our Lord Jesus worshipped as it was being redecorated and expanded by pagan Herod the Great. But that was 500 years after Haggai. That temple that Herod was rebuilding and redecorating, they worked on it for over 50 years. And then only about 40 years after Jesus' death, Jesus had predicted that will fall. And in A.D. 70, the grandest temple of the ancient world, in some people's view, was destroyed by the Romans. Now we move to Matthew for a moment, and in one of the most memorable gospel texts in all of the gospels, Jesus commanded his disciples and all believers, note the text says, I'll be with you to the end of the age. He commanded all believers to engage in the making of disciples of the nations people everywhere with the supporting commands to baptize and to teach. Now, who could have provided such Christianization of various cultures except God himself? From 12 Galilean peasants and women surrounding them, and Jesus, and all the throngs of believers through the ages, the good news message of Jesus has stretched and it has changed the world. Today, there are over 7 billion people in the world, 
and about one-third of them, over two billion, identify themselves as people of the Lord Jesus. Only God could do that. Think about the throngs of Christian believers through the ages. Most all of us, I know I do, fit Paul's comment to the Corinthians where he said, Consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. And not many were of noble birth. Yes, the dramatic display of Christianization in history across all of these diverse cultures that we know, all of that came as the result of Jesus' statement at the end, I am with you. That's the difference maker. As we have already seen through Haggai, the statement, I am with you, was not unique to Matthew, though he did begin his gospel by including Jesus' name, Emmanuel, in chapter 1, verse 23, where he quoted Isaiah to affirm that Jesus, Emmanuel, is God with us. The entire gospel of Matthew, birth to resurrection, it's an open book on the nature of God. Read the gospel, observe the Lord Jesus, and you see God himself in work. According to Matthew's gospel alone, Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there with them. Now the effect of this teaching in Matthew is that our task as believers in making disciples and being the church of Jesus, it remains supported by the Lord Jesus. We are not alone. He, as he said, he has not left us as orphans. For he promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He said to the twelve in their Christian mission, and he has said to all believers in all the ages on their Christian mission, I am with you. So you may be wondering for the moment what is the connection, the specific connection of Haggai and Matthew. Yes, there is a powerful connection. The poignant yet short sentence, I am with you or I shall be with you, occurs 25 times in the Old Testament and five times in the New Testament. All of the Old Testament uses, except for three, are addressed to individuals. For example, you will remember the famous statement when God told Moses individually, I will be with you, and then he sent him to confront Pharaoh. In the New Testament's five uses, three are addressed to 12 disciples before Jesus' crucifixion. And one of the five is addressed to Paul during his missionary work in Greece. So after such a tally as that, it leaves three uses. Haggai 1.13, Haggai 2.4, and Matthew 28.20. These three uses are unique in the Bible. 
First, all three of these uses are addressed to a plurality of people with a plural pronoun, the word you in the plural, not the singular pronoun you. In English, we regrettably, we have confusion about that pronoun. It can be singular or plural. In these three uses, it's all, they're, they're all plural. The Bible languages are specific with that plural pronoun. English is confusing. Haggai addressed a plurality of returning exiles to Jerusalem after a 500-plus miles journey by foot, months. In Matthew 28:20, Jesus addressed his 12 disciples, the earliest church and all of us, on the missionary journey. So plurality, unique feature of the three. Secondly, all three uses addressed dejected and demoralized people in the midst of their lives, challenge, and tasks. In the case of Haggai, the people received God's command to rebuild his house, the temple, while they were returning home after 70 years. Some of them had never lived in Israel, and they're going back with parents or grandparents. And they're having to scrap for food and construct their own homes, and God says, build my house while you're at it. In that moment, the Lord said, I am with you. When we are weakest, the Lord God says to us, I am with you. In Matthew, the disciples and all believers receive Jesus' command to make disciples, a task that often seems impossible when we look at the whole world and we look at the news. Our life situation seems to be against us in terms of telling the news, the good news. It seems as though we're scorned and that people reject our testimony. To reassure us on this difficult journey of testimony, Jesus said, I am with you. Third, All three uses are the exact same words in the Greek texts, but the Matthew version is unique. In many languages, word order is different than English, and in the two Haggai texts, in the ancient translated Greek version, the words in one place are, with you I am, and in the other place in Haggai, it is, I am with you. But Matthew, however, the same words, the exact same Greek words, but they're rearranged in terms of their order. And it's a graphic order. It's a picture in the word order. When you're looking at the text, you see a picture as much as you see words. And as the text, it literally says, I, with you, I am. I with you, I am. In such a construction as that, it seems as though Jesus says to us that he, the great I am of the burning bush, surrounds us on our collective mission together. He's before us. He's behind us. 
He simultaneously is before us, with us, behind us, following us. With Jesus, we are safe, and no one will snatch us from his hand. When our culture and friends scorn, as they did Job, he is with us, our Lord Jesus. When they deliver you over, and don't be anxious about what you might say, for what you might say it will be given to you at that time because I am with you. Despite our personal failures with the apostle Peter, remember Jesus said to Peter, feed my sheep for I am with you. And as Haggai recorded to the weak, the broken, the disheartened, get to work. For I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. So as we close these remarks on these wondrous words of life, with whatever difficult and trying circumstances we face, Jesus comes every time, on time, and says, I am with you. Would to God we always prayed and lived with the idea that it really does not matter where we go, what we do for a living, or who scorns us as long as we are with Jesus. So Lord Jesus, send us wherever you wish as long as you go by our side. For I need thee every hour most gracious Lord. And he said, I am with you. Let us pray. Holy Lord God, we're grateful for the reassurance of your word and the life commitment, death commitment, and risen life commitment of your son in our lives. We pray this night that we might take new insight from your word and that we might live more effectively in this place to which you have called us in this time. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.